0: each one his brother saying know the lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest for i'll be merciful towards their iniquities and i'll remember their sins no more and speaking of a new covenant he makes the first one obsolete and that is what and what is becoming obsolete is growing old and is ready to vanish away all right so you guys remember last week we looked at abraham and god began to deal with him and uh, cutting a covenant And it's important to talk about the covenant because that's the foundation by which you approach God. If you're ever thinking, like, what business do I have approaching God? Um, But the covenant is actually what what tells you that. It tells you where you're standing. It tells you what your rights are. It tells you why you can rest in God's presence. So what's our foundation? What, What does man have to do in order to approach God? Absolutely nothing. That's the whole point. God did it all. Remember, our part is to say, here's my sin. Thank you for everything. That's it. It's kind of humbling. Man doesn't have a whole lot of big deal. I belabor at this point over and over again. We did a whole message showing you God did it all. Our part is to say thank you. And so uh, we're going to continue uh, looking at this. God initiated the covenant we saw last week. He came to Abraham and said, I'm going to enter into a covenant with you. God's the one who cut the covenant. And just when man's going to have a part in the covenant, he's supposed to pass between the, uh, the pieces of the animal. God causes Abraham to fall asleep and he snores through the whole making of the covenant had nothing to do with it. Wakes up and says, thank you. God uh, God made the promises, and God says, the uh, the fulfillment of those promises are dependent upon God, not upon Abraham. Abraham wakes up and says, I hear that. I believe it. And God says, good. I'm going to credit to you as righteousness. You get to enjoy all of this just because you believed. So God, God takes the initiative. He cuts the covenant. He makes the promises. He fulfills the promises. Has nothing to do with man. How many more times can I say this? Are we getting the point? One would think so. <laughs> see, when you see that, there is, uh, there's what the Bible calls rest, right? That's the heart of the gospel, is resting in what Jesus has done. Another uh, word for this is grace, okay? Uh, you're resting in what God has done for you. Some people, someone came up with an acrostic, G-R-A-S-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Uh, not a bad start for, it's not the only definition of grace, but um, that, that's what uh, Abraham entered into a grace relationship with God. Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac chose to uh, be in covenant with God. Isaac had a son named Jacob. He chose to be in covenant with God. Jacob had 12 sons. He had his name chained to Israel, 12 tribes of Israel. They began to be fruitful and multiply. And after 400 years, there's 300 million Jews and slavery in Egypt. But they are the covenant people of God. They've had this covenant passed down to them. They had the mark on their bodies, the seal of the covenant was circumcision. No diagrams for this. And we see in... um, (laughs) And we see that God is going to deliver them. Before God delivers them out of Egypt, they sit down and they have a covenant meal. They have a covenant meal. They got the lamb. They got the blood. They got the the, the whole uh, Passover. So they have that whole thing. And it's reminding them of this covenant they have with God. And as they're led out of Egypt, um, they cross the Red Sea. And now they're going to meet their covenant God in person. I mean, isn't this exciting? They've been hearing about it. They've heard the stories. Now they're going to meet him in person. And they come to Mount Sinai, and it is absolutely terrifying. God is showing up in power, there's thunder, lightning, smoke, trumpet sounds, the whole earth is quaking, and he's making it clear, there's a way to approach me, and you need to know this way to approach me, right? So uh, they're scared to death, Moses enters up, and Moses comes down with the 10 words, or the 10 commandments, I'm going to call them the 10 freedoms, you're like, hold on, how are you getting that out of there? Um, We'll show you here in a second, so I want you to see this. No one can look at the Ten Commandments. No one can look at the law of God and go, what? You have to look at it and say, it's beautiful. It's perfect. I mean, if we lived like this, all of our problems would be solved. It would be absolutely great. Let me ask you a question. Um, are people on a train really free if the train goes off the rails? No, like the minute it goes off the rails, they're, they're in complete chaos, right? God is coming to man with this, the Ten Commandments. This is the railroad. He's saying, listen, if you want to be free, here's the tracks that you're going to run on. God gave us the railroad. If you go off track, you're going to be in chaos. If everyone's lying, cheating, stealing, murdering, that's not a whole bunch of freedom for God's people to live in. He's like, hey, here's the tracks to live in. And so you could look at these as like 10 cold rules. You just start reading them and it's like, oh man, thou shalt not murder. You know, you shall, you shall not, you shall, you shall not, you shall not murder, not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You might start thinking, I'm doing pretty good in these. I haven't, like I haven't committed I haven't killed anybody. I haven't uh, you know, I haven't stolen anything lately. I you know, I'm doing pretty good in these things, right? It's the last commandment that tells us what the things are about. It's this, if it wasn't for this last one, we'd probably be doing pretty good. And the last one says thou shalt not covet. Now nobody typically knows what covet means. Here's what covet means. You can't even want to do the other nine. It's like, oh man, like, Thou not murder. I, I thought I was doing so good you could think you know, it's just about keeping it outwardly but throughout the Bible God was after the heart yeah. Remember, we, Timothy saw the giant heart God's after the heart and Jesus is saying listen this is what the law was about after he just got done saying heaven and earth will not pass away my law will not pass away my words will not pass away and he begins to explain the intent of the law Matthew chapter 5 am I talking too fast I'm a little excited I mean, you know what I just turned it down a notch you're welcome I'm telling you, I'm getting this this is gonna be such good news to you guys. It's coming up here. Amen. All right, so Mount Sinai, not external, internal. Here's what Jesus meant all along, Matthew chapter five, verse twenty-one. You've heard it said, you you have heard that it was said to those of old. What's he quoting? He's quoting here the the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. I mean, can you see the despair? How is anybody ever gonna keep the law from this heart? Have you get, has anybody noticed how many obnoxious people there are out, out there on the planet? Yes. I mean, I mean, Mary and I were just on an airplane yesterday, and like this person, they have it on speakerphone. They're playing like Farmville or some game like on speakerphone, and I'm feeling this old covenant anger come up in the summer. I'm like, are you serious? Stick on some headphones, have some class here. <laughs> I'm not even gonna talk away about way people dress in the airport anymore. It's like they were at a pajama party, and they woke up, and it's like they're in their pajamas, and they're in slippers. I'm like, what's happening? I'm getting, I'm getting angry over these things. I don't even know why I'm getting angry. I'm angry that I'm getting angry. <laughs> can you see the despair? How was anyone able to keep the law from their heart? How are we going to do these things? How can we keep that 10th command? We don't even want to be angry. We don't even want to do any things. See, but here's the deal. By the time you've read the law, you've already broken it. It's too late. <laughs> By the time you're old enough to read, you've already screwed them up. Some of you are probably thinking, Jim, I thought you just said it isn't what we do. It's about what God has done for us. Now you're bringing these Ten Commandments. You must, you must, you must. Um, what is this? Is this another way of approaching God? Not at all. we got to understand the role of the law and the role of the law in the Christian. Okay. So I think a lot of Christians, they live like a muzzled dog, and they think this is a good thing. So imagine there's this dog, and he loves chewing on people's ankles. He doesn't care if it's the mailman, he doesn't care if it's the visiting uncle, he loves ankles. And all of a sudden, the people muzzle him, and it's like, oh, look how good this dog's being. He's not chewing on anybody's ankles, but on the inside, he's salivating over that shin bone as as it walks by, right? That's a lot of Christians. They want to do bad, but there's this law, and it's keeping them, and it looks like they're doing good. They're not committing adultery, but if they have the opportunity, they commit it in a second. They're not murdering anybody, but in their thought, they're bitter, they're angry at everybody, and so they're like this muzzle dog, and a lot of people think, this is what a good church person is. They're not doing the bad things. Guys, it's not enough to do the, that is, that's not the good news, is that you can want to do bad, but you're not going to do bad, because God's going to give you the whammy, and if, if you don't do enough bad, then maybe you'll make it to heaven if it outweighs. No, 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 that's not the good news. The good news is we're going to see in a second is God's actually come and He is going to actually change your heart. Then why do so many Christians not change their heart? We're going to see here in a second because they're still living under the old covenant. Okay, there we go. So, um, so, a lot of, so a lot of people they start reading these these rules and these laws and they're like, hold on, is this a different way? I thought Abraham was a believed God. Now there's all these rules. Suppose that um, Sean and I entered into a covenant. We agree on certain things and certain terms. We have it notarized. We sign it and we put it in a safety deposit box. About two years later, I realized, you know what? I think Sean's getting too much. I I don't feel like Sean's giving me enough in this thing, and so I'm not going to tell him about it, but I'm going to sneak in there. I'm uh, going to go into the bank vault, and I'm going to find all the parts that I don't like. I'm going to cross them out. I'm going to rewrite them in my favor, and then I'm uh, going to seal it up. And uh, let me ask you this. Is this a legal document now that I've done this? No. No. Okay. And so um, it's not a legal document. When God made a covenant... Establishing something new does not disregard the old. Okay, He made this clear throughout Galatians, throughout Hebrews. He's like, listen, this covenant will be established forever. There's not a new covenant. God's not saying... Uh, God already established the way of approaching him. The way of approaching him is simply resting upon what he's done for you. That was the whole last week's message in granular detail. Okay. So 450 later, years later, God does not come along and say, oh, by the way, I've changed it. <laughs> I didn't really like the way it was going. I didn't really like the way he was acting. So I gave you guys a whole bunch of rules. Here's the Ten Commandments. Now try hard to keep them. That's how a lot of Christians live. It's like, yeah, okay, I get saved and uh, I'm made right with God. But then there's the Ten Commandments thing, and now I've got to try really hard to please him. Yeah, yeah, I got in by grace through faith. But from there on, it's pretty much works. Salvation by grace, sanctification by works. That's pretty much what a lot of people are living right now. How are we doing? Get this. The law was never given to make man right with God. The way to be made right with God was already given to man. It was through covenant. It was through helpless dependence. The law wasn't given to make me right. It was given to show me where I'm wrong and point you back to the covenant. The law shows you what life outside the covenant is like. Here's what it's like on my own. I'm, I'm messing up. I need to go back to helpless dependence. Start to feel good about yourself. There's the law pointing the finger at you again. You're like, oh, I forgot. I can't live this thing out on my own. I can't please God on my own strength. I got to go back to helpless dependence. I remember um, I was doing real estate one time and I was walking through this house and a lot of the houses that we were looking at were pretty dumpy at the time that we were looking to, to buy and flip and do all sorts of things with. And I was impressed that this house was so nice in the upstairs. I was like, wow, this. we're not going to have to do a whole lot of work to this. And as I stood at the top of the basement, I was expecting to see, like, finished basement, you know, furniture everywhere. I flipped on the basement, cobwebs, the the steps are littered with mouse droppings. Um, I see some uh, roaches, or I think they're cockroaches, scurry, uh, you know, when the light comes on there. Um, You know, just dirt everywhere, nastiness, the smell hit me like cat urine. And, um, you know, everything looked good until the light came on, right? Here's what the law does. The law throws light on your darkness, you think you're doing pretty good. I've been doing devotions this week and I memorized a verse and fasted a meal. I, well, it was kind of half a meal, but I fasted sweets and you doing pretty good. And you begin to think you're doing pretty good until the light comes on and you're like, wow. Man, there's stuff on the inside of me that, see, if you're trying to please God based on what you're doing, the law is gonna come on and go, you ain't perfect. And you're gonna go, I need to go back to the original plan, helpless dependence. That's the purpose of the law. It's a tutor. It's a schoolmaster to show you, you need the helpless dependence plan. You can't do the performance plan. That's the purpose of the law. And here's the thing. When we first come to Christ, we understand helpless dependence. We're like, man, I understand. I deserve God's wrath. I'm, I'm, I've been sinning. God's holy and just, and he's totally just in punishing me with his wrath. I can do nothing. Christ has done it all. I cast myself on God for salvation. He did it all. And at that moment, we understand helpless dependence, but we quickly forget about helpless dependence, right? And it, and it kind of comes innocent because we want to please God. Like, like God's done all this for me. Now I want to do something amazing for him. And then we begin to hear sermons that go like this. I remember in the early days of my um, Christianity, I would hear sermons that often went like this. After all that Jesus did for you, the least you could do for him is... And they would fill in the blank. And man, my heart, I wanted to please God. It, it made sense. Like, of, of course, this is the least I can do. After all Jesus did from, uh, for you, he rose from the dead. Can't you even get out of bed an hour early to pray? Oh, man. I, I, I guess I can do that. Yeah, I guess, I guess so. Because God has shown you such grace, the least you can do is give your life away to him by going on the mission field. Now, it was never because God called you to. If you aren't called to stay, you're called to go. And I'm like, that, I don't know that that makes sense, you know. Um, the least you could do is die in a malaria-filled swamp preaching the gospel. That's the least you can do to show. That That was kind of always the thing. I was like, why is it this malaria-filled gospel, swamp, you know? I'm supposed to always go to, right? And the idea was, surely I can thank him by doing better than I did before, right? You guys, you've got to remember that the, um, I'm about to say some things here. The churches who promote these ideas, these, these little doctrines, they're doing the best they could, okay? So I'm not trying to, like, put anybody down. Uh, we're all growing in Revelation, but um, the church begins to uh, enter in their own list of rules. It's like the Ten Commandments aren't enough. The laws of God aren't enough. And so the church comes, comes up with their own rules. It can be anything from you must not go to the movies um, to you must not drink wine, all the way to ladies, you must not braid your hair. Uh, ladies can't wear makeup or earrings or if you're really old school, ear bobs, they call them there. Uh, girls can't wear pants. No mixed bathing. Uh, men shouldn't wear Shorts. Um, you have to wear a suit or a dress to church because God expects your best. Any of these sounded familiar? Um, you still have to keep certain Jewish festivals and holidays, even though Jesus completely fulfilled them. But you're more spiritual if you keep them. No, you're not. You're more spiritual if you helplessly depend on Jesus. You know, you can recognize that Jesus fulfilled those, and maybe by participating in one of those things, you're seeing an aspect that Jesus did, but God's not up there going, oh, they kept the feast of Sukkoth. Oh, they're keeping Yom Kippur. My heart is beating faster. There's a special blessing during this Yom Kippur season. No, there's not. The special blessing was 2,000 years ago on the cross. <laughs> Usually the special blessing is tied to some special offering for some strange reason. How we doing? Good. Mary and I knew a girl. She was not allowed to play Monopoly because it had dice, and that was the devil's cubes. And she so had to use a spinner. There you go. And then there's the Bible. Suddenly, the Bible becomes, and I'm, I'm going to balance this out here in a second, but I, I got to, you got to tear it down before you build back up. Are we doing okay? And the Bible became, in uh, me growing up, the number one way to please God, right? And so, 15 minutes a day keeps the devil away, right? And so we dutifully read our Bibles every morning because we want to show God how much, how much we appreciate what he's done. We, we, like, we want to please God with this. And so um, there's even a childhood song about it. Read your Bible every day. Read your Bible and pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. <clears throat> I swear I was more on tune this morning. <laughs> So if there was this 15 minutes of Bible reading and this 15 minutes of prayer time, I think I've had a stopwatch at one point. I don't know if you guys ever did this. I literally remember timing it like, oh my gosh, five more minutes. I got nothing else. I've already prayed around the world twice. prayed for every person I knew. I still got five minutes left. We did our devotion time and we felt pretty good about ourselves spiritually. Like we had a pretty good devotion time. We're feeling pretty confident in ourselves spiritually. Listen, guys, if you're ever feeling confident because you've had a good devotional life that week, you're headed for depression because God ain't impressed with your devotions. He's impressed with what Jesus did. And your devotions should be leading you towards helpless dependence and wonder, not self confidence. And then there's fasting, master level Christianity. This is like the Olympics of Christianity here. I mean, I would go without meals and I would go without desserts to show God how much I loved Him. I'm giving things up because He gave up so much for me. And I appreciated what He did. I want to grow and become mature. And if you really want to please God, you've got to witness. I'm going to balance these things out. These aren't bad things, but done this way, they are dead works. Right? When I'm witnessing, I mean, we just thought, Mary and I were just in another part of. Uh, We were in Florida, and so um, can't you tell by my whiteness? And so uh, the shade worked. And so, um, but there was these Jehovah's Witnesses out there, and and why are they doing it? They don't even believe they can become part of the 144,000. Like that whole thing's been fulfilled. They're doing it out of duty. They're doing it to please God. They don't care about people. They're doing it out of duty, right? Dead works. And so, what's happening is people they begin trusting in their ability to keep the rules trying to um, obey the law, do things to obtain God's favor, when God said, that ain't the way to get my favor. Helpless dependence is the only way. These rules are simply to show you, you need the helpless dependence plan. Your self-performance plan ain't working so good. The message I heard in many churches growing up could be some like this. You aren't doing enough. You need to try harder and do better. That's the message of Religion. Listen, God's not going to make you any stronger in your own strength. Let me cool you into his purpose. He's making you weaker. And the reason you aren't stronger is because you're not weak enough. If that makes sense. And that's why the law is here. That even though I'm in Christ, even though Christ is my life, there's times I want to draw on my natural resources and do something in my own strength. Forget him. Guys, the Christian life is about learning how to live out of his strength and his resources moment by moment. The mature Christian is not someone who doesn't need God as much. The mature Christian is someone who's burning through grace the way that the space shuttle burns through fuel trying to break through the, uh, break through the, break through the atmosphere. The mature Christian is someone who's constantly depending on God, recognizing their weakness, and when they recognize that, strength comes. Something strange happens from the time I lay my head on the pillow to the time I wake up. Something crazy happens in my hair. I don't know if it's a mixture of leftover hair gel with spiritual warfare in the middle of the night. But when I wake up, it looks like a cross between a Burger King crown and a rat's nest. Like, I'm not sure what happens. And so, here's what typically my morning routine is, you know, alarm goes off, I get up, get up put my feet on the floor so I don't keep staying in bed get the dog, and go out for a walk, and so um, I'm out for a walk uh, the other day, and um, I talked to a couple neighbors, and I noticed they weren't making eye contact. They were looking (laughs) four inches, five inches above my eyes. I wanted to say, eyes up here, eyes up here, you know, and I'm like, oh, and so I came home, and uh, I came, and I walked by a mirror, and I was like, oh my word, it was like, (laughs) Like, I, I mean, it was just all over the place. And I'm like, Mary, I think I'm that guy in the neighborhood. Like, I've been doing it for months. Like, just, like, like just getting up, no hat, just getting up with crazy, mad professor hair. And uh, I told Mary, I think people are probably saying it's that crazy hair guy. Like, I'm that guy in the neighborhood now. Now, I want you to notice, um, when I looked in the mirror, um, what did the mirror do? It just showed me reality. Okay? I didn't take the mirror and try to fix my hair. The mirror just simply pointed to the fault. The law is not the cure for you to now try and keep it. That's like trying to fix your hair with a mirror. The law is just simply showing you reality and going, oh my goodness, I need the helpless dependence plan. I need a comb and some hair gel in a hurry. So for us to be alive is not us trying to be like Jesus or trying to please God. It's Christ living his life through us. By us saying, Lord, I can't, but you can. Remember we looked at last, uh, last week, um, the Lord is my, and I'm, I'm, I'm stepping into that. I'm acting as if it was the Lord is my strength. When I recognize I don't have that strength, he does. Lord is my strength. Strength comes into my life. I may not notice it, but as I look back, I'm like, wow, I had a strength that was beyond my own. I had a wisdom that was beyond my own. I had a peace and a patience that was beyond my own. The whole Christian life results in itself in continual glorious weakness. God, may you live through me in every way. And so uh, what's, the, what's the role? Um, I want you to see it. The law has nothing to do with the Christian anymore. Remember Paul in uh, Romans 7? Why do I do the things I don't want to do? Can we look at that for a second? That's, that's life under the law. Let's look at this. See, so Paul gives us this fantasy illustration in Romans 7. Okay, he's, he's using a fantasy illustration. So here we go. Romans chapter 7. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law. And if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. Verse 4. Likewise, my brothers. That was the illustration. Now he's applying them. Likewise, my brothers. You have also died to the law through the body of Christ. So that you may belong to another. To him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law. I want you guys to get this. The law is like a red flag to a (laughs) bull. Okay? The law, uh, what it does, the law arouses that sin nature in us. You didn't even know what sin was until you heard thou shalt, thou shalt not. And then something came in you and said, you're not going to tell me what to do right? If you want a church full of sin, preach on the law all the time, telling people to keep it in their own strength. You shall, you shall not. You got to try better. You got to be hard. You know what? You're going to have a church full of sin because that's what the law is supposed to do. It's supposed to arouse it. Oh my gosh, this is so bad. Helpless dependence plan is what I need. Verse four, likewise, my brothers, you've also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. Not try and have fruit. You're going to bear it. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in a new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Okay, so first of all, I want you to picture this, that you had a husband, and this husband was an absolute perfectionist. He knows exactly what he wants and is very quick to say exactly what he wants. His demands are endless. From the minute his poor wife wakes up, the time she goes to sleep, he has this demands of absolute perfection, but to fulfill those demands, he gives her absolutely no help at all. She's very frustrated about it because he's so demanding, and if she's honest, it's not unreasonable. He really is right in what he's saying and how to do it. The wife in this illustration, I want you to get this, is the very opposite of her husband. She's not the picture of perfection. She's very clumsy, uh, she trips over everything. Every time she tries to serve him uh, what he wants, she drops it or spills it. This poor clumsy woman, she could never do what her husband is asking. She meets with her husband on many occasions, makes promises that this time it's going to be different. But as she gets up from the chair, she falls over the table and spills it all over the carpet. She can't stand her husband. She just wishes the man would die so she could marry somebody else. But the man won't die. Are you ready for this part of the illustration? So she dies. And in another dimension, she marries someone else. And that someone else, his demands are even higher than her first husband. The only difference is he does it all for her. He makes sure it's all done and he just loves her and gives her all the ability and adequacy to do what he demands. That's Paul's illustration of Romans 7. What's it about? You and I in the old age, we were married to the law of God. And there is no more demanding husband than the law of God. You can't do this, you must do that. You must do this. If you break one of these things, you've broken the whole thing. Can you ever please that husband? No, whatever you did was wrong. We dreamed if only the law would go away, if only the law would die. Listen, guys, I'm sorry, the law is perfect. The law will last forever. The law is eternal, okay? There's nothing wrong with the law. The law is beautiful. If the law won't die, here's what happened. We died. (laughs) And so Jesus dies to that old age. Jesus takes you and I into himself and exit that age by death. So I die to my old husband, the law, and I rise to this new dimension in the body of Christ, this new age, this new man, this new era of the spirit. And the miracle is that as we're married to the Christ, the new husband, he does not let down any demands of the law, but he lives his life through us so we fulfill everything the law was after. Guys, here's how you can summarize the law. The law is love. Love God, love people. The law is love. Those are beautiful things. And as the Spirit of God lives the life of Jesus through you, you'll fulfill everything the law was after without trying to fulfill any of the law. To please God, I do not have to read my Bible every day. To please God, I do not even have to pray every day. To please God, I do not have to go to church at all. To please God, I do not have to witness to another person. To please God, I do not have to try to keep any of the Ten Commandments. Okay? But you know what? Now that Christ has come in me and he's written his law in my heart and he's changing my heart, I love to read the word of God. I don't have to. I want to. The Bible's interesting because it's the only book that when you read it, the author shows up in person. Now I want to gather with the people of God who have a like mind and want to praise God together. I discover that there's rising within me hourly, praise to God. Moment by moment, I'm worshiping him. Not because I have to, but because it's something that's in my heart. There's times I want to shut the door for an hour. Some people may call it a quiet time, but I will have my stopwatch out this time. There's times I want to fast, even though I don't have to, but I want to. All right, that last one was a lie. I never want to fast, but (laughs) in theory, somebody could want to do that, maybe. Romans 13.8 talks about this same thing in another context. Romans 13.8, For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. When did you get that? Love is the fulfillment of the law. And as love himself lives his life through you, you get to do that as you hit the helpless dependence plan. And the self-righteous plan, you're going to have a really tough time loving all those obnoxious people. There we go. What I'm saying, guys, is we forget the law altogether. It's done its work. It's reduced us to helpless despair. That was the purpose of the law. Now, Paul says, throw out the rules, okay? We're now producing what, love, what law was after. It was after love. And the Holy Spirit is now writing it on our hearts. That's part of the new covenant. Paul talks about this again in Galatians 5.18. But if you're led by the Spirit, in other words, you're trusting in the strength of the Holy Spirit, you're helplessly depending on him. He's living it through you. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Guys, you're seeing this is a new covenant. It's a new way of doing things. Instead of trying to keep the law, now the Spirit is living the life of Jesus through us. When we helplessly depend on him, we're accomplishing everything the law was after. You cannot completely rest on Christ's strength and try to accomplish the law in your self-will at the same time. Your discipline and helpless dependence do not go together. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of you trying really hard to be like Jesus, not the fruit of your disciplined behaviors, and everyone's impressed by your your rituals and your disciplines, it's the fruit, it's the result of the Holy Spirit expressing you. Here's what it's going to look like. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against things, such things, there is no law. In other words, when the Holy Spirit is expressing his life through you, the law says, yep, that's what I was after the whole time. And the law is satisfied. Earlier, we talked about that woman married to a husband who was demanding. Nothing she ever did was good enough. That husband died. She marries a new husband. Here's the rest of the story. Out of love for this new husband, she did more for him out of love than she ever did for the husband out of rules. When you're free from the law, there's a whole new motivation to read your Bible and pray and fast and witness and go to church. You know, when I was courting Mary, no one said, spend 15 minutes a day talking to her. Don't buy yourself things because you want to save up for a ring. Stay up late and talk to her. Write her songs even though you can't sing. Actually, wrote songs to Mary, recorded them a cappella, and sent cassette tapes to her in the mail for her to listen to them. Now, those are locked under a vault. No one will ever hear them, I hope. Maybe the grandchildren, I don't know. They'll probably get me to do anything they want, but anyway. People in love will do things that people under the law and rules will never do. People in love will do things that people under the law and under the rules will never do. I was motivated by Mary, and I would do anything for her for for this woman who would capture me completely more than if someone had given me a list of rules and said, here's how you'd be a good boyfriend. People who are free from the law and are motivated by love, are some of the most Bible-reading to see him more clearly, quiet time having just because I want to hear his voice, secret place meeting just because I want to be with you, fasting because I'm more hungry for your world than I am my own, telling others about Jesus because I can't hide this relationship, speaking in tongues because it's the language of lovers, people on the planet. That was pretty good. Come on. First Corinthians 15.10, But by the grace of God, Not by the works of man, by the grace of God. I've worked harder than any of the other apostles. Yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. Your hard work is only good if it's Christ accomplishing the hard work through you out of love. Don't hear me say that when you're free from the law, the result is that you're lazy and just waiting to go to heaven. Instead of living to or for God, you're living from God. Let's go back to Romans 7. And we'll close this out. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, that part of me that's weak and uh, apart from divine influence. For I have the desire to do what is right, but I just don't have the ability to carry it out. Um, for, what, for I do not, this is part's confusing, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? This is Paul in Romans 7. Romans 6 was all about being dead to sin. Now how long in Romans 7 is it suddenly? It seemed like sin is super alive. Is Paul saying, uh, I'm schizophrenic. Sometimes I want to do good, but I just do bad. I just can't help myself. I've actually heard preachers say, even the apostle Paul was a hypocrite. This is the Christian life, which is this life of struggle. What? Like, 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 I, I get that that's your experience, but that's because you haven't stepped into the helpless dependence plan. This is the person, Romans 7 is not the normal Christian life of struggling with sin. The Romans 7 man is the person who tries to please God with something that they do, and it cuts you off from the life of the Spirit. Whether it's before you were saved and you're trying to please God, or after you're saved, it's a picture of someone under the law, trying to please God, but then that mirror comes and shows you what a wretched man you are. So what's the solution? The next verse, 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Guys, this is no longer us. Unless you're trying the, self, the self-dependence plan, the works plan, the, the I'm going to please God on my own plan. This is not the normal Christian life. Ezekiel 36, verses 25 and 27. Uh, Ezekiel wrote a little bit after Jeremiah. He's writing about the new covenant from a new perspective. I am circling for landing. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart. And I will put a, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. <clears throat> and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. Jesus put it like this in Luke 6. He says, if you make the tree right, the fruit will be right. What religion does is they're trying to tie oranges onto apple trees and say, look what that's producing. It's all about the external looks of it. It's, it's, it's that muzzled dog. Jesus says, the goal, guys, the commandments of the New Testament are not things that you're trying to do. It's pictures of the life that will be produced in you as the Spirit lives through you. Do not be envious. Do not, be, you know, do not have contention. Do not be angry, all these type of things. He's giving you a picture of the fruit of your life. You're not supposed to try and keep those commandments He's showing you a picture of the kind of person that you will easily and naturally be as the Spirit lives through you. God's goal is to make the tree right. And as you helplessly depend on him and his life is through you, love is going to characterize the core of your being. You're going to look, feel, think, act like Jesus, not out of effort, but because that's the person that you're now becoming. He says, I will write my laws on your heart. That's, the new, that's, probably, that's one of the terms of the New Covenant. So we're going to do a closing exercise here. I'm going to read you Galatians 2, and I'm going to ask you two questions here. Are you guys ready? Yeah. Yep. Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 through 21 in the message. What actually took place is this. I think we have this one. Or right, you can just listen to it. What actually took place is this. I tried keeping the rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. So I quit being a law man so that I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I've been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It's no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. And I'm no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me, and gave himself for me. I'm not going to go back on that. Is it not clear to you that to go back to the old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God? I refuse to do that, to repudiate God's grace. If a living relationship with God could come by rule-keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. That's what I was trying to say. That pretty much said it a lot better, so could have saved ourselves some time. So here's the two questions, okay? I'm going to give you one that's going to kind of open it up, and the second one's going to kind of help you get more solution-focused, okay? So if you could just close your eyes, and just for the Holy Spirit, just allow him to just give you a word, paint something on your, your imagination. Uh, here's the question. Holy Spirit, in what area of my life am I feeling discouraged or hopeless? In what area of my life am I feeling discouraged or hopeless? Just give me a moment. Here may be a better way to get at it. Holy Spirit, in what part of my life do I need to learn to say to God, I cannot, but you can? Holy Spirit, in what part of my life do I need to learn to say to God, I cannot, but you can? whatever that area is that you're discouraged or hopeless or that part that you need to, uh, say, I cannot, but you can I want you to just take a moment and just say, Lord, I cannot do this area, but you can. Maybe it's an area of struggle with sin. Maybe it's some emotions. Maybe it's a need. But uh, I'm just going to give you a moment to do that exchange. Lord, I just thank you that we are free from the law. We are free from having to impress you with our incredible behavior. So Lord, we just acknowledge we are stepping into the helpless dependence plan. And I pray that your law will come and do its work of being that mirror, of throwing light into our darkness, of showing us when we're trying to do it in our own strength so we can step back to becoming weak so that you can become strong. Holy Spirit, we want to be people who learn to let the life of Christ live through us So whatever area people identified, I just thank you that you want to show yourself strong as we recognize our helpless dependence on you. If we could just stand for a moment. I just want to give an opportunity, and uh, this is really a picture of the gospel. You know, it has, I think it is every week, but, um, uh, you know, it is this week as well. And so the gospel is a picture that God has done everything on your behalf, and your part is to say thank you, I receive it. And so if you're here today and you're like, you know what? Maybe you are raised in church, maybe you are baptized or sprinkled as an infant, maybe you are dedicated or had some type of ritual done, but you never had that time where you said, you know what, this is for me. I never, I never came to that point where I helplessly depended on Jesus for what he's done, I entered into that covenant, and uh, I just want to give you an opportunity here to say, you know what, I'm going to trust Jesus. I'm not going to just believe facts about him, what he did 2,000 years ago, I want Jesus as the present tense reality in my life. And of course you'll go to heaven when you die, but God wants to get you into heaven before you die. He wants you to get you into his kingdom of heaven, life in his power and his presence before you die. And so, if you're here today and you're like, I've never trusted Jesus, I want that, I want to enter into covenant, I'm just going to ask you to be bold and just raise your hand. We want to pray with you today. Not trying to embarrass anyone, but Jesus said, If you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before the world. I saw the hand over there. Thank you. Anybody else? Hey, um, anyone watching online or anyone in the room who didn't raise their hand, let's just, uh, let's just say a, a prayer that is, is expressing our trust. It's not the words. It's the faith behind the words. So Jesus said, the Bible says this, if you'll confess Jesus as Lord and believe that God's raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And so let's just pray. Jesus, I want as much of you in my life as possible. Forgive me for doing it my own way. Forgive me for all that sin. I thank you that you took my place. I want to be your man. I want your life living through me in every area of my life. I want to learn from you how to be like you. Let me just pray right now. Holy Spirit, I just thank you. As people are praying, that your Holy Spirit is coming into their life and making them new, I pray for that inner witness, that confirmation that something has shifted, and they can begin living a new life in you. I bless each person in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that prayer and, uh, and, it was, and it was something different for you, I encourage you our ministry teams are coming forward, they'll be the ones with tags on, they would like to pray with you again uh, help you get filled with the Holy Spirit whole new uh, dimension of life and uh, if you need uh, additional ministry, you want someone to pray with you, someone to give you an encouraging word, the Bible calls that prophecy you need some healing prayer, our teams will be here and if you're new here, my wife and I would love to meet you over here by the Omni flag, so bless you guys act like Christians in the parking lot, give them heaven this week